So please join us in Mark chapter 5. Open up the word with me as we study the very words of God. As Jeff said, I'm, I'm not feeling so hot this morning. I, uh, I, I, so if I'm, I'm not shaking your hand, don't take it personally. I'm just trying to avoid spreading whatever's, whatever I've got going on here. We're continuing our study of Mark, and we've been working our way through. We started in Mark 1.1, and we're now picking up here in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. And the title of today's message is, Only Believe. Only Believe. You've probably noticed by now as we've walked through Mark that Jesus is calling on people to believe in Him. Sometimes it seems so easy to say, well, just, just trust the Lord. Just believe. Just, just trust in Him and it'll be okay. But we're going to see some situations today that seem insurmountable. And we're going to be reminded that we can trust God even with the gigantic, heavy things of life. We're to trust Him moment by moment, even in the small things. But every once in a while, we come up against something that just seems insurmountable, that seems unbelievable. This seems like there's no way that we can trust God in this moment. Well, we're going to see Jesus' power demonstrated once again today. We've seen it the last couple of, couple of uh, studies here in Mark. We saw it on the, on the sea as he calmed the wind and the wave with but a spoken word. We saw it last week as he healed this demon-possessed man who had been afflicted for years and years. And now we're going to see it as he helps two women today. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, And seeing him, he fell at his feet, and he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that that she may be well and live. So we find Jesus here once again around the Sea of Galilee. This has become a constant theme here. In fact, uh, uh, the lakeside, his ministry by the lakeside here, there's there's now some 15 references here in the first five chapters of Mark, and we continue to see him ministering by the Sea of Galilee. The text doesn't specifically say where he is, but a large crowd is gathered around him. So word spread that Jesus is is on the ground, he's here, and the crowds are now thronging to see him. We've already seen this, and we'll continue to see it throughout Mark, that the crowds didn't always come to Jesus for the right reasons. They often came to Him for what they could get out of it. But irregardless, they were here, and they were crowding in on Jesus. And we're going to see this story kind of focusing on, well, there's, there's kind of two stories crouched in one. Jairus, and in a moment we'll meet the woman who is just simply referred to as the woman with the issue of blood. And so Jairus comes to him, and we don't know really much at all here about Jairus. It says he was a ruler of the synagogue. Uh, Scripture tells us, and and, uh, history tells us, that, uh, you you know, there there were multiple synagogues around 
the, the nation of Israel. Remember, there's only one temple that was in Jerusalem, but synagogues were all over the place. These were public places of gathering. They weren't just used for worship on the Sabbath, although they were used for that. They were used for other community gatherings. And there was someone who was in charge of each one. They were called, that, was, that was called the ruler of the synagogue. He didn't always preach and teach every week. That was often done by lay people. But he helped coordinate it and kept things uh, rolling, make sure that the teaching that took place was orthodox and sound. He would have been charged of keeping up the building, uh, procuring scrolls for scripture reading, and even arranging the Sabbath worship. And he would have probably been a man of prestige, possibly a man of wealth. And he came to Jesus. Now, I always wonder the backstory. I always wonder kind of what's going on behind the scenes. We're not told how long this little girl is sick. We're not told exactly what, uh, if, if things just if there was an accident that happened or if she had an extended illness and already had all of a sudden had taken a turn from the worst. But he finds out that Jesus is in town and he hurries to him. The passage indicates that, that she's severely ill. He tells Jesus, my little daughter is at the point of death. This was not just a cold or a flu. This was not a, a, a sprained ankle. Whatever she had... And however long she had had it, it had gotten bad enough where people were gathered around expecting, expecting her to breathe her last. She was severely ill. And I would imagine, that in the, the wording of the text indicates, that he probably was running to Jesus. As soon as he found out that Jesus was in the neighborhood, he books it there. And it says he falls down at his feet and he implores him earnestly. Everything about the, the language indicates that this man is desperate. And if you're filling out your notes, there are just a few application points that I want to point out as we walk through. I don't really have a structured outline of this passage, but there's some things that I hope at least one of these will, will speak to your heart this morning. And the first thought is that humility precedes faith. Humility Proceeds faith. Notice the way he approaches Jesus. It says he falls down before him. This was a man who was, who was likely a leader. I mean, he was a leader and he was likely someone very important. He was, he was used to people coming to him. And yet he comes to him and he falls down on his knees. And it says he begs, he implores Jesus. Oh, please, please do something for my little girl. She's going to die. And really, I, I think that his physical posture mirrors his spiritual posture. As he's coming to Jesus, he recognizes he doesn't have any resources to fix his situation. He's, he's going to Jesus as his only hope. You know, the Bible teaches us as we, as we approach Christ, we can't approach him with this mentality that I've got everything figured out. That I know what's going on and, and, if, and if Jesus will take just a few minutes to listen to me, I can explain to him how he can fix the situation. God wants us to come to him with a humble heart. God's looking for people with broken hearts. And this man comes to Jesus broken. Now we shouldn't think that he had necessarily become a devotee of Jesus or that he was even necessarily a man of great faith. The simple fact was that he was desperate. He'd heard of many Jesus's, heard of many of Jesus's miracles. Maybe he'd even seen some. Possibly he'd even been talked to some, talked to the, some of those who had been healed. He may not have been sure about Jesus, but he recognized that in Jesus laid his only hope. 
And Jairus' coming to Christ was not unlike so many of us. It may not have been his love for Christ that brought him. It was not what he could do for Christ, but it was his need. And it was in his desperation he saw a glimmer of hope. You know, despair is commonly a prelude to receiving the grace of God. Sometimes God has to bring us to our knees. He has to bring us to a point where there's nothing that we've got to offer so that we can see that our only hope lies in Him. And as Jarius comes to Him, he sees that he must cast himself upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the text carries on in verse 24 and says, And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and in fact had spent all she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. As you're reading through this story, this seems almost like a, a, a really strange occurrence, because we're, we're initially hit with the immediacy of Jairus' need, that, that, that Jairus had a daughter who was dying, and he said, come, and Jesus was coming, and they were on their way to make this, this little sick girl well. And all of a sudden now we see a parenthesis. The, the story kind of comes to a, a halt, as it were, and, and we're, we, we pick up a new storyline. We meet this woman who is sick, and the crowd was, was pressing in on him. I mean, just imagine some of the scenes that you see of political rallies or, or uh, famous actors or actresses or uh, uh, a musician or uh, someone at a, at a concert where the, the crowds are just thronging in. They're just pressing in, and he's, he's trying to keep moving, trying to walk, and he feels somebody touch him. Now, this woman, it, it, again, we don't know much about her, except for she had had this illness now for 12 years, 12 years. She said, it says she had suffered much at the hand of many physicians. In fact, she had spent all she had on trying to get well. She'd been to doctor after doctor and had exhausted all of her financial resources in trying to be healed. This was a woman who was experiencing a great deal of suffering and had tried desperately everything she could to be relieved of her suffering. It doesn't go into a lot of detail, but she, she had a, a, a continual discharge of blood for 12 years. This would have meant that she was probably very anemic, very weak, frequently tired. She would have been someone who not only was, was constantly physically ill, but she would also have been socially ostracized because the Old Testament law explained that that. Uh, because of oh, when, when, you, uh, when, when a woman would have had her menstrual cycle or when any kind of bleeding would have taken place or even coming in contact with someone who had been uh, bleeding, that you were to, to be declared unclean and you were supposed to have a period of, of cleanliness. And, and, uh, and there was a whole ceremonial purification process 
And you had to be cut off for the, from the community of, of the, your people for, for several days. This wasn't because of some superstition, but it was, it was to teach the significance of blood. The, the Bible says in Leviticus that the life of the flesh was in the blood. The importance of blood throughout the Bible is, is, is very important. It's made clear in Jesus' death on the cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why we sing songs like we did today, nothing but the blood. It might outwardly sound morbid, but the Bible indicates that blood is what covers sin. Blood has to be shed in order for the, the price and penalty of sin to be done away with. And so the Bible takes blood very, very seriously and, and, and to underscore the coming redemption that would be in Christ. And so that ceremonial law was, taken, was, was, was put in place so that uh, th- the people could understand just how significant this, this topic was. It's not just something that, that comes out when you cut yourself, but it is, there's, there's actually serious theological significance when it comes to blood. Unfortunately, one of the unintended consequences was for someone like this woman who was constantly bleeding, she would have been cut off. In fact, she should not have even been in the crowd that day, technically, but she went past and decided that she was going to just do away with the outward ceremonial laws because she wanted so badly to be healed. In fact, we're going to see in just a moment Jesus healing a dead girl. And so not only, not only did, he, did he heal a woman who, who had this bleeding issue, but he came in contact, came in contact with a corpse. He, he violated two of the laws of the land. And, and it wasn't that Jesus was saying that God's laws are unimportant, but he realized that there were, there were deeper issues at stake than caring for the minutia of the law. He, he looked beyond the letter of the law and realized both of these women needed the loving and healing hand of God. And it says she approached Jesus. She had faith that even if she touched Jesus' clothes, she would be healed. The Greek tense indicates, as, as you read in verse 28, that she was kind of muttering, over, muttering to herself. She said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. The, the underlying indication of the text is it was almost like she was reminding herself or convincing herself, all I have to do is just go and touch him. All I have to do is just go and come in contact with him. I believe that he can do this. I believe that Jesus will heal me. This woman very likely was not a, not a woman that possessed a ton of faith that came with great stalwart confidence and earlier in the day proclaimed to all of her friends that she knew for a fact Jesus would heal her. She was, she was really just kind of clinging on, both literally and figuratively, and trying to believe and trying to trust in Jesus. The Bible indicates that God honors even the smallest amounts of faith. Some of us may be in a crisis of faith right now and we're, we're just, just barely holding on. We're just barely clinging. We're, we're just, just trusting Him. We're not feeling like we could get up in front of our friends and, 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 and proclaim this great faith like maybe a, a Hebrews 11 person, you know, some, some great person of confidence, Joshua boldly going out and, and, and tearing down cities in the name of the Lord. We're just like, I, I'm going to trust you, God, 
for the strength to get out of bed this morning. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready to go, go tear down Jericho, but I'm just going to trust you this morning that I, I, I'm going to be able to, to get out of bed and go to work. Jesus said that God honors even faith as small as a mustard seed. Theologian John Murray said, wherever there is faith as slender as one strand of a spider's web, there the fullness of redeeming grace is active. That's beautiful. God does not require us to come with fully developed, full confidence and and constantly come to Him with no doubts. This, This woman was just, it sounds like, just clinging to her little thread of hope. But she believed She trusted. As small as her faith was, she reached out. And that's the second thought I want want us to think about this morning. If I can get my clicker to work. You can trust Him even when your faith is small. Even when your faith is small. God doesn't require you to be a person of profound learning, to have it all figured out. He doesn't require you to to have a certain social status, to be a, a... a theologian, to be able to come to him. He just calls for simple, childlike faith. And even in a sea of hands, God sees the one that is reaching out in faith. Though that faith be ever so imperfect, ever so weak, and ever so simple. And Jesus felt this one hand that reached out that day. The text goes on in, in verse 30 to tell us, that Jesus, he noticed, okay, there's, remember, there's, the crowd is pressing in on him. People are bumping and jostling, grabbing, but he noticed that this woman had touched him. And it says, and Jesus, perceiving himself in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd, and he said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. What a beautiful, beautiful passage. Jesus looked around and said, all right, who who touched me? Now, I, I, I really, I don't think that it was the fact that he didn't know I think he, he was interested in her coming forward on her own. And the disciples said, listen, there's people all over the place. Who, what do you mean who touched you? But Jesus knew that, that this was different. He knew that his power, he says his, his power had gone out of him. Something different happened here. One writer I, I read said, the persistence of Jesus in discovering who touched him rivals the woman's persistence in reaching Jesus. She wants a cure. However, she's looking for something. Whereas Jesus desires a personal encounter with someone. He's not content to simply dispatch a miracle and let her go. He wants a personal encounter with her. In the kingdom of God, miracle leads to meeting. Discipleship is not about simply getting our needs met. It is being in the presence of Jesus, being known by Him and following Him. Some of us want to come to Jesus for simply what we can get out of it. And this woman, I think her heart was different than that. 
But Jesus didn't want her simply to walk away being physically healed. He wanted to have an encounter with her one-on-one, to meet her face-to-face and to speak to her. And so verse 33 tells us that she comes forward and she's trembling. She's fearful. Now, I don't know. Again, the text doesn't say to us why she's afraid. But are you noticing a pattern here? These last three miracles of Jesus, calming the the sea, healing the demon-possessed man, and now healing this woman with a 12-year chronic illness, all three of them elicit fear. When you stand in the presence of God, when you see His power at work, it should elicit awe in your heart. If, if you can do nothing more than just shrugging it off and saying, well, that was cool. Maybe like you do when you see some special effects at the, in an Avengers movie or something. You think, that was pretty neat how he pulled that off. And you probably really haven't encountered God and His greatness. When those disciples were all of a sudden transformed in the middle of a storm into a glassy calm. It didn't say that their fears subsided. It said that they grew even more afraid. When the herdsmen saw Jesus cast the demons out of this man into a herd of swine and send them flying over the, the cliffs into the sea, it doesn't say that they, they were just impressed with the neat theatrics. They were afraid. And now here this woman is trembling because God honored her little bit of faith, her little strand of faith, and all of a sudden she felt herself immediately better. She knew. There was no doubt. She didn't have to have a news crew follow her for six months to see if she was faking it and and if it was the real deal. It was instantaneous, and she knew there was no doubt in her mind that she was well. And Jesus called her forward. Maybe she was worried about Jesus scolding her. I don't know. But she trusted. She believed. The passage tells us that she told him the whole truth. She she took the time to tell him the whole story of how she'd been sick and now how she had been made well. And verse 34 makes it very clear. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. What's God calling you to trust in Him for this morning? God's calling you to believe in Him about something. God's calling you to trust in Him. Maybe it's, it's the first time that you've ever thought about this, and maybe He's calling you to trust in Him for your salvation. Maybe it seems like a little thing. Maybe it was some taxes that you couldn't pay or, or a job that you're looking for. Maybe it's a, a family relationship. And God's calling you to believe. Simply trust me. No matter how, how, how tall the mountain seems, I want you to just believe right now. I want you to trust. Well, meanwhile, while all this was happening, Jairus is waiting. Remember, his daughter was at the point of death. He was pleading urgently. He was in a mad rush to get Jesus over there to make him well. The third thought I want you to think about today is that you can trust God while you wait. Do you think that there was some struggle with Jairus? 
wait a minute, wait a minute, I was talking to him first. I was first in line. <laughs> Listen, lady, you've dealt with this for 12 years. Can you just wait another few minutes? My daughter is dying. Hello. I don't know. Those are thoughts that would be going through my mind. I'm just being honest. There was a reason that I came urgently because it was an urgent need. And I'm sorry, but can, can this lady wait just a little bit, Jesus? It's interesting because Mark knows that, uh, that, that she had had this illness for 12 years. And so likely she took time to explain the whole story. I mean, how else would the gospel writers have found out the background to, to her illness if she hadn't been sitting and explaining? So maybe she's going into detail with Jesus. We, the text also told us that she'd spent everything she had on doctors. So more than likely she explained that to Jesus. And so she's going through her whole story leading up to, and, and then when I touched you, Jesus, I became well. And Jairus is probably thinking there, come on, can we speed this up? My daughter is dying. We can kind of chuckle a little bit, but all of us have been in those situations where we think, come on, God, aren't you paying attention? Don't you see how important this is to me? Don't you see that this person is dying? Don't you see that my soul is being crushed here? Don't you see how, how needy I am? Where are you right now? The story reminds us that we can trust God even while we're waiting. We may not understand while we're waiting. We don't mean that. See what God is doing, but we can still trust Him. We need to be careful not to interpret God's silence as God's apathy. We need to make sure that when God says, just wait, that we don't hear, I don't care. Because he does care. He's not forgotten about Jairus, and he has not forgotten about you. And so Jairus is here, and the story returns its focus upon him. In verse 35 says, while he was still speaking. So it indicates that he and the woman are still talking. They are still having a conversation about what's just happened. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, I hope, and I know cultures are different, and, and, uh, and, and we all handle death a little bit differently depending on our culture and the time period you're from. I'm kind of assuming that Mark is probably just summarizing the situation. I hope that they didn't just come up to Jesus or come up to Jairus and say, hey, hey, your daughter died. Why don't you leave Jesus alone? I hope that there was a little more tact involved in there than that. But that, that's what the text indicates, that they came up and said, okay, you know what, Jairus, you can stop bothering Jesus now. She's gone. And you can imagine just the devastation that is overwhelming Jairus. The, the, just the feeling of hurt, of sadness, and maybe some frustration that Jesus wasn't moving a little faster. Probably the same feeling that Mary and Martha felt with their brother Lazarus. They said, you can stop bothering the teacher now. Verse 36, I'm sorry, um, 
Yeah, verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. The text says that while Jesus is talking to this woman, he overhears what these people are telling, telling Jairus off to his side. The Greek word is, is really interesting. The word that's translated in, in the English Standard Version as uh, overhear, uh, some of your translations may, uh, may translate it ignoring. The NIV translates it ignoring. It has, it has this, uh, several distinct meanings. It, it can mean to overhear something that's not intended for one's ears, so maybe Jesus really did overhear them, but, but also it indicates that it, it, is, it, it has this meaning of uh, um, to ignore or to refuse to listen or to discount the truth of something, and it seems like both things were going on. Jesus overhears what they're telling Jairus off to the side, but then it's like he blows it off because he says, listen, don't be afraid, Jairus, only believe. Just trust me here. I, I, I've, not, I've not forgotten you. So verse 37 says that he allows, allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John and the brother of James. Sorry, Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and, and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the child was. And so Jesus gets over there immediately. He just took Peter, James, and John. He came there and to the house and Jesus, he says, what are you crying about? This child's not dead. The child's only sleeping. And they, they laughed at him. I don't think Jesus was dumb. <laughs> I don't think Jesus couldn't figure out that she was dead. I think he wanted them to see her like he saw her. He saw with eyes of faith. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that in a few moments, this child would be breathing again. And he wanted them to look at the situation with faith. And so, as a loving, tender father, he takes this little girl by the hand. Verse 41 says, and he says to her, Talitha kumi means little girl I say to you arise the word could even be translated honey sweetheart time to get up the gentleness and tenderness of Jesus is brought to bear on the situation Jesus was not a cold robot moving through the crowds zapping people well and making people rise from the dead he entered into their suffering with them he walked through the, he felt their pain and their hurt and he saw the overwhelming grief in this family. And he loves this little girl. And he goes to her. And he says, sweetie, it's time to wake up. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. She was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. The final thought I wanted to just leave you with today was that you can trust him for the impossible. Situations that seem too far gone, situations that seem out of his control, you can still trust him. You can still believe that he has the power to work. And we know that there's not always a resurrection 
But there is always a relationship. Sometimes we don't get what we want, but what you can always have is Him. Sometimes we're after it. We're after our situation to be fixed. We're after the new job. We're after the, the, the restored health. We're after the mended relationship. We're after a padded bank account or whatever it is. And sometimes God answers in the way that we expect. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to wait a really long time. But then sometimes God comes to us and says, I'm not going to give you what you want, but I am going to give you me, which is far better than what you want. You know, both of these women in the story found themselves in the very same boat that we find ourselves in, completely unable to fix ourselves. They had no hope of fixing their situation. And you know, the Bible says that we were born in sin. We were born people separated from God, God's very enemies, and without hope apart from God. And when he sent his one and only son to the cross, he reached out in love to redeem those who are his. We couldn't fix our situation. We couldn't die for ourselves. We couldn't merit our own salvation through good works or good wishes. Like these two women, Jesus is our only source of hope. And it's my prayer that like these, these two situations, that you reach out to Christ today in faith, believing, believing. Do not fear, only believe. Let's pray. God, this morning we're reminded of just how significant it is to simply trust you. And we're not talking about, in both of these situations, about monstrous, pillar of the faith kind of faith. We're talking about faith that was was hanging on by a a thread, just by a little strand. Both these families clinging to belief and trust in Jesus. God, I pray that each and every person here today would be reminded of how important it is to trust Christ today and believing that he can answer. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.